we've said that God has given Adam the supreme authority in the earth. Uh, Adam and Eve, mankind, were put in charge of the earth. Uh, we are the supreme authority under God. Uh, but then Satan came along and he tricked Adam and Eve into disobeying God and in doing so, Satan usurped that authority. That's how Satan became the God of this world that the Bible speaks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of those that believe not. Uh, of course, that's the bad news, but the good news is that when Jesus came and he died on the cross for our sins, he defeated the devil and stripped him of that authority once again. And just before Jesus uh, went to heaven uh, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, he commissioned us, the church, and gave us the authority to operate with this authority and to subdue and to bring order and uh, to bring, uh, you know, to, as it were, to enforce the law of God in the earth. Uh, and we've said that the authority of the earth is vested in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's why when we pray, we command and we use the name of Jesus Christ because that's where the authority is. Um, and, you know, demons and angels, for that matter, will spring to attention if Jesus were to say something because they know who Jesus is. But when we say something in Jesus' name, they have to spring to attention just the same because the authority is not in us, but it is in the name of Jesus. In fact, so much so that uh, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. We are the body, all right? And uh, the head is in heaven, but the body is in the earth, and we are to exercise God's authority in the earth. Um, Kenneth Hagin tells a story how um, Jesus appeared to him uh, uh, for some time and talk to him about authority, about demons and how to deal with them and, and so forth, about deliverance and different things. And uh, in this vision, uh, Hagen was uh, standing there listening and next minute a demon came in uh, and began to move itself between Jesus and between Brother Hagen and began to make all sorts of noises and yakety yak and yakety yak, just distracting, uh, just creating confusion. You know, the devil's really good at that. Uh, the Bible says that God's not the author of confusion, but the devil is, and the devil confuses people. And in fact, we prayed against confusion even this morning. Uh, and so anyway, all of this is going on, and Brother Hagin is trying to listen to what Jesus is saying, and Jesus has carried on talking. This, this is how you deal with demons, and this is what you do, and, and this is what you need to take care of. And Brother Hagin was having difficulty hearing because this demon is distractive and, and so forth, and he's thinking, like, why doesn't Jesus do anything? And, uh, and, uh, and, and in the end, he got tired of it, and he says, devil, devil, he says, demon spirit, get out of here in Jesus' name. And the demon just dropped to the ground and started whimpering and then crawled out uh, and, and disappeared. And, uh, and, uh, and then Brother Hagin is all ears again and is listening to Jesus. And, and at that point, Jesus said, he says, it is very important that you did that at this time because I couldn't have done that. Um, and Brother Hagen says, oh, I says, I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sure I misunderstood. I'm sure you meant to say you wouldn't have done it. You said that, Lord. You wouldn't have said you couldn't have done it. You said you wouldn't have done it. And, and Jesus says, no. He says, I couldn't have done it. And to make a long story short, this went back and forth. And Brother Hagen uh, tells it in his preaching and he writes it in his writings that he, he questioned the Lord 
three, four, five times in regards to whether Jesus said that he wouldn't have got rid of the devil or he couldn't have got rid of the devil. And the sum total of the story is this, that Jesus is on the outside, uh, if you like, and we are the authority. Uh, you see, when God uh, gave authority to Adam way back in the garden and, uh, and the authority transferred to the devil, God is now on the outside. And God's got the power to do whatever he wants to do, but he didn't have the authority anymore to come into the earth and to operate as he wished. That's why God was looking for a man to get into covenant with, to be able to get back into the earth, to be able to legally, to legally bring the Savior uh, some three, four thousand years later so that Jesus dying on the cross as a human being could pay the price and defeat the devil and get the authority back off of him. And as I said before, when Jesus went to heaven, he's given us the authority, and he is, if you like, on the outside now, and if we don't take authority, nobody will take authority. All right, the devil will continue to roam and to do what he wants to do. So there's a story there that really describes, in fact, it became quite a defining moment uh, in the life of Brother Hagen and, and in, in the teaching when he began to understand that we are the authority in the earth. We have to exercise that authority. And uh, we've also said that we exercise spiritual authority by speaking words, by decreeing God's word. That's how we exercise authority. And then finally we said that we're only in authority to the extent that we are under authority. Uh, and in fact, that's what I want to major on a little bit today um, and get into that just a little bit further. Um, you know, usually when I go anywhere, and I think this works the same for most of us, if we go on a journey anywhere, we would usually run through some sort of a checklist and say, have I got everything? Have I packed everything? Have I got everything in my luggage? Did I book my tickets? Did I get my visas sorted out? Did I put petrol in the tank? Can I go? Can I go? Will I run out? So we have some sort of a checklist. In some instances, it might be a literal list. In other instances, it might just be a mental list, a mental checklist that we run through. And I kind of had this stirring that we should create a similar checklist uh, as we embark on this journey of exercising spiritual authority. Have I done everything that I needed to do? Have I taken care of all the necessary parts so when I take authority that it's going to go good? that I will not come under attack, there will be no backlash, and I'm actually getting things done in, in, in my life. I can resist the devil, I can actually get rid of him, and not only can I get rid of him out of my life, I can cast him out of other people's lives and resist him and so forth. So today, today's message is if you like a little bit of a checklist. Let's just run through things and tick things off. Uh, some of the things that I'm, uh, I'll be saying today, we've already talked about, I want to come back to it again and just ticking things off to make sure that we, we are positioned for exercising great authority. So here in James chapter 4, verse 7, and we've already been there, but I want to read it again. It says, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Um, what a fantastic truth. It's knowing that we can resist the devil. It's knowing that we can get rid of him out of our lives. The devil is a rogue spirit. Uh, he is an outlaw. He is an illegal-like uh, um, entity that just does things he ought not to be doing. But unless somebody stops him, he will continue to do what he wants to do. What does he do? Well, the Bible says that the thief, reference to the devil, does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
So if there's stealing going on in your life, uh, uh, if there's just something being destroyed, if there's stuff going on of that sort, it's the devil uh, doing, and in some instances, us making wrong decisions. Uh, uh, and, and sometimes the devil tempts people to do wrong stuff, make wrong decisions, so that they can, you know, he can get them into trouble. Uh, so it's good to know that we can resist the devil. But here's the point, and it's the first point I want to make today. I'm just going to make two main points and several sub-points, all right? The level, number one, of my submission to God determines the level of my spiritual authority against Satan and demon spirits. Um, in James chapter 4, verse 7, in, the, in God's Word translation, which is basically a modern translation, it says, so place yourselves under God's authority, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. We've said this before, but many people are running from the devil, uh, afraid, don't, want to, don't even want to upset him, uh, don't want to mention his name because he might come against them and, and do them over or something. Uh, we do not need to be afraid of the devil. All right, so here it says, uh, it says, submit yourself. It says, or place yourself under God's authority, as I've said before, uh, under God's authority is the place of safety. Outside of it, we're getting into territory where the Bible says, give no place to the devil. When I'm out from under authority, uh, I'm dealing with attacks that shouldn't be happening, all right, that I shouldn't have to deal with. Now, uh, if you can just imagine a seesaw, most people have been to a playground somewhere, there's a seesaw there, and sometimes kids get on it, and sometimes adults get on it, and of course it's basically a plank that is balanced uh, in the center on some sort of a uh, um, arrangement there where the seesaw, you know, the plank goes up and it goes down. So one side goes up and one side goes down. And the reality is this, friends, that, uh, that uh, um, in terms of, uh, in terms of my, submittance, my submittedness to God, the more I submit to God, the higher my authority is against the devil. All right? Remember that uh, the seesaw doesn't suddenly do this or do that. It's always like this. And authority works like that too. The more I submit myself to God, the greater is my authority against the devil. If I'm out from under God's authority and don't submit, I'm losing spiritual authority over here. And this is what sometimes people don't understand. People want to party with the devil on Friday and on Saturday and on Sunday they, they want to resist the devil. And somehow the devil just goes, <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, like we can't play in, devils, in the devil's territory, get involved in strife and in division and in gossip and, uh, and you know, get into stuff that is outside of, uh, of the scope of what believers ought to do and then try to turn around and to try to resist the devil. And, and some of us say, why do I have to resist him in the first place? Well, you see, my friend, the devil is out. The devil doesn't attack all day, every day. But, you know, there are attacks in people's lives that happen that could be like, you know, disasters uh, uh, striking, as it were, or trying to come against them. Uh, you know, we talk about earthquakes and um, earthquakes, you know, in people's lives that people get financial earthquakes and suddenly everything's good and suddenly everything begins to shake. And then there's relationship earthquakes where suddenly everything's great and suddenly the marriage is under severe threat and everything. And, you know, the Bible says, having done all the stands, stand therefore in the evil day. What's the evil day? The evil day is when the devil strikes. And we've said this before, that we are to build up our faith 
and exercise and, and learn to exercise authority in the day of peace when everything is good. So when the evil day happens, we are ready and we, we can just resist the devil. In fact, if anything, we can preempt the evil day. We do not know how many things that we're dealing with, but simply exercising our spiritual authority and say praying in tongues, dealing with stuff that tries to come against us in the future. And when we get there, it's not even there. And we don't even know it's not there because we've dealt with it back here. All right. So sometimes they say, well, why do you, do you guys do so much tongue talking and everything? We're dealing with stuff, with un, un, unknown things. We, we don't know what the future holds, but God knows what the future holds. And, uh, and so that's the whole deal. Uh, as I said before, like a seesaw, the more I'm submitted to God, the more authority I have against the devil and the more authority I'm exercising in. And uh, it is very much like a seesaw. So very quickly, how do I submit to God? Uh, uh, what's the practical steps? I want to keep things practical. This is not about deep theology. It's like, what do I have to do? Tell me what I have to do so I can do it. Well, number one, it's surrender the lordship of my life to Jesus Christ. This is for people who are not saved, people who are not born again, people who are not Christians. How do I get under God's authority? Well, the first thing to do is to repent and to confess Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives. All right, of course, many of you have already done that, and it's just good to reiterate things because when people come in or looking from the outside, it's like, how do I get in on that? Uh, I want my life to be better, and 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 I want to be able to be able to resist things that are trying to come against my life, rather than I'm always at the tail end of what's going on. And so, number one, or letter A, we surrender lordship of of our life to Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. It says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth confession, uh, he confesses, resulting in salvation. Remember that when we were made righteous, we were made righteous. We didn't commit righteousness. We were made righteous. When Jesus died on the cross, it says that he became sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus did not commit sin. Uh, he was made sin. We didn't commit righteousness. We were made righteous. We don't get to heaven by our good works or because we are so smart. We get to heaven because of what Jesus has done on the cross and we simply accept that. We come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. All right, and of course the point there is that we ask Jesus Christ to not just be Lord generally, because He already is Lord generally, but to be Lord specifically in our life. Lord Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'm giving the reins of my life, the control to Jesus, and once I've done that, I'm no longer the boss of my life. Jesus is the boss of my life. And the amazing thing is Jesus says, if you give your life away, he says, you will gain it. He says, but you hold on to your life, you will lose it. And so there's a deal there, my friend, that when I got born again, I was more in charge of my life than what I've ever been prior to that. It's almost like a paradox. People can't get their head around this thing. And it's not even so much getting your head around, but it's getting our, our heart and our spirit around that. When we surrender our life to Jesus, we actually gain our life. We gain control of our lives and we are able to live life uh, to in, you know, in abundance. At that point, 
Once we're born again, we are delivered from the power of darkness. We are translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. We are citizens of a kingdom called the kingdom of God. All right, that's our citizenship. Our citizenship in the devil's kingdom was canceled, and we were yanked out of there, the Bible says, translated out, and we're now in the kingdom of God's dear Son. But here's the point. Uh, uh, letter B, it's once I'm, I'm born again, I make God's word final authority in my life. Now, some of these things are so basic, you can't get it any more basic than that. People say, well, of course. Uh, but you know what? Not everybody knows that. It's how do I submit to God? Well, I submit myself to God's word. Um, I'm only submitted to God to the extent or to the degree that I obey his word. <laughs> Does that make sense? Uh, it, I cannot claim to be under God's submission if I'm ignoring his word and do my own thing. Um, sometimes people, uh, you know, instead of choosing to live by our preferences, by our culture, you know, culture is a big thing. And every one of our cultures got stuff in it that's good, solid. It's built on godly principles, but there's stuff in there that is uh, built on doctrines of devils. Uh, it's literally of the devil. And God's given us His Word to read so that we can discern between what's of Him and what we are to retain and what uh, is of the devil and what we are to reject. Not everybody appreciates when we step out, outside of our culture, outside of our ethnic group, and the way that people operate in there, we say, well, we, no, we can't participate in this anymore. Not everybody appreciates that. All right? Uh, but we're not here to uh, obey men. We're here to obey God. So we no longer live by our preferences, by our opinions, by other people's opinions. We deal with the fear of man. We let nobody breathe down our neck and say, no, you will come back, you will do this. We say, no. Uh, Jesus is now my Lord. I'm living my life according to His Word. Circumstances. Sometimes people live their lives circumstantially. It's just whatever is happening at the time, that's what they do. And uh, circumstances change, their method changes. Um, as I've said before, we only submitted to God to the degree that we submitted to His Word. So the question to ask is, is there anybody or anything in my life that carries more weight than God's Word? Is that a good question to ask? Is there anybody in my life that's got more clout that can place a demand on my life that I will give into even against God's Word? Anybody or anything? Because uh, if that's the case, I need to deal with things. You know, sometimes... Uh, um, it's not always the case in everybody's life, but Vanessa and I got saved, we had to disconnect from some relationships, uh, from some friendships, uh, from some people that meant well, they're not like evil or bad people, but their influence wasn't particularly good on our lives. You see, our associations uh, are very, very important. Uh, if we associate the, with the wrong people, the Bible says just be careful who you hang out with because you become like them. He says, do not keep company with an angry man lest you become like him. Uh, or, you know, the Bible says that, that evil company corrupts good morals. So when we first get saved, God may lead us to cut off certain relationships and to create some distance. But it's not that we say, 
tell people to get lost. It's not about that. We're just simply pulling back because those relationships have got, there is a level of expectation attached that I can no longer fulfill now as a believer. And in some instances, God pulls us away to build us up and to send us back again so that we've got the strength to resist what's going on in that setting and to be able to bring words of life into that situation. So associations are very, very important. Uh, the right associations, of course, and to deal with wrong associations. Here in Psalm 138, verse 2, uh, it says, I will worship towards your holy temple and praise your name for your loving kindness and for your truth. For you have magnified your word above all your name. God has magnified his word, the word that we have written in our Bible. If you're holding a Bible in your hand or you've got some device that you've got the Bible on or a number of translations on, that word, God has magnified it above his own name. So what that means is that God will always operate by his word. And we've said this before, but people say that God works in mysterious ways and I say that God only works in mysterious ways to people who don't know the word. If we know the word, God operates according to expectation of what he said he will do and God will never go against his word. All right? And we are to be wise and understanding uh, in, uh, we are told in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, uh, verse 14 or thereabouts, we are to be wise and understanding, knowing what the will of the Lord is. Well, what, what is God's will? Well, it's in His Word. The Word that is, uh, He has given to us, the Word that's been recorded, uh, that is God's will. So in seeking God's will for our life, the general will is revealed in the Word of God. Of course, there is a specific will where God leads us by His Spirit within the framework of the general will. And I cannot claim to be led by the Spirit uh, if I suddenly see a vision or have a dream and I wake up and I'm going to do things that will take me outside the general will of God. Sometimes people are very insistent. They say, but I've heard from God. And we say, no, you have not heard from God. Because if you're saying you're moving outside of the, of the, of the, of the railway tracks of, of, of the written word of God, you've heard from a wrong spirit. You see, even Satan can appear as an angel of light. The Bible says, and he, he's doing that. Uh, in some instances, people are forever led by visions and by dreams, and uh, and sometimes, you know, they're the wrong spirits that they're listening to. It's even prophecy. Uh, praise God for prophecy, but friends, we don't live our lives by prophecy. We live our lives by the Word of God. Praise God for prophecy, and it always needs to be in line with the Word of God, and, and, and uh, um, I'm all for prophecy, but uh, the people run around and say, oh, I need a prophecy, I need a prophecy. You're waiting to get into some trouble, I tell you that. Because the devil will accommodate you if you want to be led by prophecy. We are led by the Spirit of God and we live our lives by the Word and that is the written Word of God. So God lives by His Word. He expects us to live by His Word. So living by God's Word demands that we become a student of the Word. I need to know what's in the Word, don't I? <laughs> need to study the Word so that I can live by it and get it into my spirit and so forth. Then thirdly, and moving right along from there, thirdly, I need to place myself under every God-ordained authority in my life. Again, I can only claim to be under the authority of the invisible God if I'm under the authority of every 
visible authority figure or authority agency in my life, such as obviously one that's very obvious is state authority. And typically we're dealing with law enforcement agency like police, customs, um, you know, state and other state agencies, IRD, uh, uh, Inland Revenue Department. Okay, am I submitted to those authorities? Because if, if I'm not, this is a God-ordained authority. If I'm not submitted to that, uh, and I get out from under that, and I begin to say things and do things, uh, it'll rob me of spiritual authority against the devil. Um, and so there's other authorities like civil authority. There is the employer, the boss, the supervisor. It's incredible how people can forever chide against authority. Uh, <clears throat> and speak against it and try to uh, and somehow not do what is requested of them somehow. People shouldn't have to stand over us with a rod to get us to put in a good day's work and to do what we ask to do. Uh, that should be normal for us as Christians. All right. It's interesting, but uh, you know, we've got various authorities. As I said, there's the employer, there's the supervisor, there's various uh, authorities that we come in contact with as we move about. It could be that I go into a bank and there's a security uh, guard outside and he will tell me to not enter at that particular point in time. Well, well, what will I do? Will I knock him down and go in anyway and ignore that authority? Or will I say, well, he's, he, he's in charge at that particular point and I'll just not go in. So it's l simple things and little things. Here's a big one. Domestic authority. Um, authority of a husband. Um, authority of... of of, of a wife together as parents, the children obey their parents uh, as they're young and when they get older they no longer so much obey them but they honor and respect their parents uh, and that a wife will submit herself to her husband's authority for her protection um, and uh, friend I know that there is a strong message permeating throughout society um, in our nation and in around democratic nations around the world about equality and we are all for equality, but God in authority in terms of rank has not made husband and wife equal in authority. God's given the charge in the relationship to the man. That's why when God uh, realized that something had gone wrong in the Garden of Eden, when God came in, he says, Adam, where are you? He didn't say, Eve, come here. He says, Adam, where are you? Um, and there is the onus on men to be godly leaders, to be submitted to God themselves. And if they're submitted to Jesus Christ and submitted to these authorities that we're discussing here, then he can expect his wife to submit to him. But if I were a woman and married to some of the blokes that I've come across, I would not submit to them either. Um, tragic, just tragic. And so in that case, a woman has got a difficult task to kind of still be submissive in, in spirit and in everything. But, uh, but, you know, like a... For example, submission at that point is not to go out and to do things that the man would demand that are against the law of the land, that are against the laws of God, that are against, the, against you know, decent standards in, in society and so forth. So that submission is not something that you know, a man should stand over the woman and, and beat her into submission, as it were. Uh, absolutely not. Um, and, but as I say, for us as, as men, uh, we can only expect submission to us in in, in our marriage to the extent that we ourselves, and, this, and you know, the seesaw works over here just the same. If I'm, if I'm submitted to God, then my wife will safely trust in me and in my leadership uh, and, and so forth. But if I'm not submitted to God, then it makes it very difficult for her.
so domestic authorities, then there's ecclesiastical authorities. That's a fancy word, ecclesiastical authority. I got that from the dictionary. And what that means is church authority, uh, uh, authority of a pastor, authority of, uh, of uh, church leaders. Not every pastor now, uh, but you're a pastor. Uh, people, sometimes people got too many pastors. There's too many voices going on. Um, and, uh, and, and, and so forth. And so God's placed a, a, a level of safety into our lives by submission to church authority. It says that we submit, uh, it says, remember those who have to rule over you. It says, submit to their authority and follow their faith. Um, <clears throat> and so there's an aspect of, again, where sometimes people think in the church is democracy. Um, and in some churches, they operate like a democracy. They vote the pastor in, and then when he begins to say things that they don't like to hear, they vote him back out again and get themselves somebody else. Uh, it's tragic. Um, and uh, and so, um, uh, so church authority. And sometimes, uh, you know, like I'm also within an authority structure. Uh, I'm a part of a minister's association, and we have a director. And, uh, and sometimes the leadership of that director uh, demands things from me to go against my preferences. But... but <laughs> The president gets what he wants. Why? He, he's the God-ordained authority at this particular point in time, so he gets what he wants. Uh, if I begin to chide against that and I begin to kind of uh, rise up against that, uh, I'm, I'm, I will be found to be usurping authority, and none of us ought to ever usurp authority. That's a dangerous place to be. Uh, and if I'm found to be chiding against authority and speaking against it, I'm getting out from under the authority that God's placed into my life and I'm losing authority against the devil. How many know what I'm talking about? So that picture of the seesaw, never forget that. Never forget that. It's absolutely true. Um, and so here in 1 John chapter 4, verse uh, 20, there is a, a scripture here that I really believe nails what we're talking about. It's not speaking about authority. It's, speak, it's speaking about love. It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, he cannot love God whom he has not seen. So what that's saying is exactly what it says. If somebody says, oh, I love God, but at the same time hates his brother, and this is talking about a Christian brother, um, but for that matter, for those of us that have natural brothers and sisters, we ought not to hate them, we ought to, ought to love them. All right. But specifically the word here is about Christian brothers and sisters where people say, oh, I hate that person. Don't say that. Because if you say you hate that person, what you're telling us is that you're hating God too. You say, oh, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, but that's what the Word says. The Word says that I cannot claim to love God who is invisible if I don't love people who are visible. And by the same token, I cannot claim to, to be submitted to an invisible God if I'm not submitting to visible authority in this life visible authority or visible authority figures. I remember a number of years ago we had a mayor in Lower Hudson. I felt he was a good man, he was a believer and he tried to establish some things in the valley here. There was stuff going on, you know, with crime and with different things and he tried to establish this deal but what they call city of, uh, of value uh, or something to that effect and uh, you know they've done similar things in, in the states where they really promoted this whole thing of uh, that we are to live value-based lives, like the value of honesty, the value of diligence, the value of excellence, and the value of, you know, all of these things. And there was attacks against that mayor uh, in the newspapers, like, you know, letters to the editor. I just, it just boggled the mind. 
that there was this one guy, and he was quite a quite a figure himself. He was a known, uh, if you like, uh, uh, a community man that uh, thought it was preposterous that uh, the mayor should even suggest something like us getting into that sort of a deal where we now begin to obey the mayor. He wasn't asking us to obey. He was simply asking us to live value-based life. I thought that's uh, part of what the mayor is there for. Man, did he come under attack, and I thought it was incredible how, you know, democratic societies, and by the way, democratic society, democratic government is still the best form of government uh, until Jesus returns, and then it'll be dictatorship. All right, it's still the best form of government, uh, and but, but what it can do, it can breed incredible rebellion uh, in people's life. That people give their opinion at a moment's notice, even when they're unqualified to to speak about things, they just spout off and everything else. And so I thought that was rather sad uh, that such a thing should be going on. And the good thing was that um, uh, a number of ministers came to the mayor's rescue and kind of spoke up for him and sort of. He felt that he was being supported by the church. Anybody that wants to do anything right and good ought to be supported by the church. Yeah, if you believe that. All right. So uh, submitting to visible authority. Again, uh, submitting to visible authority is proof that we are submitted to invisible authority. If I'm not submitted to visible authority, I'm not submitted to God's authority, and my attempts to resist the devil will not work because my authority against the devil is determined exactly by my level of the submission to God's authority. I don't know if this is helping anybody, um, but I think it's certainly a good picture that will describe to us um, uh, where God wants us to be. The second point is uh, that the level of God's word in my heart determines the level of spiritual authority released when I speak God's word. How do you know that each time when we open up our mouths, and by the way, we rule in this life by speaking words. Not just any words, but we speak God's word uh, over situations, over circumstances, over our lives. And God's word has got miraculous power inherent within itself to bring itself to pass. God's word is not dead, but it is alive. It's a difference between the book that we read called the Bible and other books, whether they're novels, history books, or otherwise. There's a difference. All other books are dead, uh, but God's Word is alive. It is inherent with miraculous power. How do I get the power flowing into my life and working in my life? By speaking the Word of God, uh, by declaring it. Some people call it the confession of God's Word. Other people call it the affirmation of God's Word, where we're affirming over and over what God says, to us and about us, and we speak that out, we add our agreement to it, and then we can watch the power of God released in our lives. Um, but the point is this, that that word needs to be in our heart before it will really affect things in our lives. In Job 22, verse 28, it says, you will also decree a thing, and it will be established for you. Um, now, who does normally decree in? Uh, dictators do. Kings uh, decree things. They issue a decree. Now, we are kings and priests, so we can decree things and we can have it established unto us. Um, and in Romans chapter 10, verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. And, uh, you know, the, the, the preceding verses there, Paul the apostle is talking about, he says, don't say 
Who is going to get up, right up to heaven to bring Christ down so he can do something for us? Or who will descend into the deep where Christ has been to bring him back up again so he can do something for us? But he says, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth and it is in your heart. The word of faith which we preach. Now notice it does not say in your mind. It needs to be in our heart. You see, our mind is part of the soul, but our heart is the spirit, is the core of our innermost being. And uh, because you might say, well, how do I get the word into my heart? Well, put it into your mouth and begin to speak it. Uh, begin to meditate in the word um, and you will put the word into your heart. Uh, here in Job 22, verse 22, it says, Accept instruction from his mouth, this is God's mouth, and lay up his word in your heart. So the point is that uh, depositing God's word in our heart goes further than the thoughts of our intellect and it goes deeper than the stirrings of our feelings. It goes beyond that. Um, and uh, you see, as I've said before, that the heart is the very core of our being. In my heart, I'm carrying all the ambitions. I'm carrying all the things that I want to do. Uh, in my heart is, is the place where God's Word begins to prosper. Um, and it's great to get our, God's Word into our mind, into our memory. And when that place is reached, it, 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 it's great, but it's, it hasn't arrived yet. The Word of God needs to go deeper than our mind. It needs to get into our heart. See, when God's Word is deposited in my heart, it becomes the operating system of my being and it overwrites all previous versions and all previous settings. How few know computer language that you know you might have Windows, say, XP um, or Windows Vista or whatever it is. Now they're running with Windows 7 or is there another one beyond that? When you, when you install Windows 7, it overwrites all the previous versions and cancels all the previous settings and brings in a new version and a new setting. And when we get born again, can I suggest that the version of the operating system that we carry in our heart is unacceptable as far as God's concerned. And so he wants to bring in a new operating system into our lives. It's an interesting scripture here in, uh, in the Old Testament there in Deuteronomy chapter 17. And basically, when God spoke to Moses and gave him all the instructions in regards to what the nation of Israel was going to look like, and, and basically gave him the whole constitution, he says, uh, Moses, write this down. Uh, when this happens, you're supposed to do that. When, you know, this is how husbands and wives are all to oper operate together. And this is what you do with kids and bringing them up. And this is what you do when this happens. And this is what you do when that happens. He's basically given him the constitution of the whole nation. And he says in verse uh, 18 of Deuteronomy 17, he says, and this is what must be done. When the king sits down on the throne of his kingdom, the first thing he must make him, uh, he must do is make himself a copy of the revelation on a scroll, copied under the supervision of the Levit Levitical priests. That scroll is to remain at his side at all times. He is to study it every day so that he may learn what it means to fear God, living in reverent obedience before these rules and regulations by following them. He must not become proud and arrogant, 
changing the commands uh, at whim to suit himself or making up his own versions. If he reads and learns, he will have a long reign as kings in Israel, he and his sons. And uh, this is quite fantastic, really. In fact, I'm just reading through, uh, I've just read through Chronicles and Kings in my daily readings along the way, and I'm amazed. They had good kings and bad kings. Uh, and the number of uh, good, king, good kings was fewer than the number of bad kings. And the difference between good and bad was that those who lived by the word and did what God asked of them, and the other ones just threw the word of God out and began to get into idol worship and do all kinds of things. So God instructing uh, Moses, he says, when you appoint a king, he says, when there is a coronation and you appoint him into this position of kingship, he says, the first thing, everybody said the first thing, he says the first thing that he must do is make himself a copy of this revelation, basically of the Bible, of what was there at that particular point in time. Would have been the first five books of Moses. Uh, um, when that was spoken, Exodus wasn't all that much developed and everything. So there's Genesis, Leviticus, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and the, perhaps the book of Job and, and, and so forth. He says he must write himself a copy of that book and keep it by himself. You see, when there is any question in regards to how we operate in this nation, they go to the law books, don't they? Uh, there is laws that have been established. There is legislation that become law. Legislation gets established in Parliament, uh, and then it becomes law. And then if anybody goes before a court, there is a lawyer there, and the lawyers are the experts of the law. They determine what's right and what's wrong. And they determine if, if, if a particular type of behavior is uh, legal or illegal. And the king was to write himself a copy and that was to become his law book, his legislation. It was indeed the constitution of the nation of Israel. All right? And uh, the, the word of God should be the constitution of our lives. We are God's kings in the earth. When we get born again, there is an immediate need of discipleship. So we can learn the book of the law, we can learn the word of God and deposit that into our lives so it becomes the motivating force, it becomes the, the, the modus operandi, it becomes the constitution in regards to how we operate in any given situation. Because quite frankly, <laughs> I've said this before, but when we get born again, the version of the operating system that we carry in our life is not the version that God wants us to operate by. So the old one needs to be overwritten with new settings uh, and new values put in place. So uh, he, God says here, he must not become proud or arrogant, changing the commands at whim to suit himself or making up his own versions. Own versions. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. Sometimes people got their own version of Christianity. See, for example, when you're talking about being submitted to God and to His Word, the Word says that we ought not to forsake the assembling together of ourselves, as is the manner of some, especially when we see the day approaching. In plain English, it means being at church on a Sunday. That's what that means. Plain English. People sometimes make up their own version and say, well, I'll turn up every couple of months and if... Uh, you know, that's not good enough, then, uh, you know, like their own version. Uh, God tells us to bring our tithe into the storehouse, into, into the 
church into the house of God, to honor God with that. This is how I want you to operate with your finance. People make up their own version. They eat the tithe. That's not a good idea because if our finances are to be blessed and we are to advance and so forth, and if we don't tithe, we're, tithe, we're creating an anomaly. And once again, it's all right for me to say that uh, I'm submitted to God, but I'm only submitted to God in regards to what I do, what the Word says. Okay, so it's not a good idea to write our own version. Uh, what's your version like? Are you operating by the previous version uh, of the version that you carried in your heart before you got saved, or are you operating by the new version? Have you, have you done an update lately? <laughs> it's uh, interesting, you know, when you got these computers, and praise God for computers, and praise God for when they work well. It's just absolutely wonderful. But you know, every now and then, they bring out new up updates, and uh, got to download the update. You see, every Sunday when we come together, we download another update. And don't say you don't need the update. Do not be proud and say, well, I'm just going to stay at home. It's incredible how when God, you know, blesses people's lives, and sometimes, you know, God blesses them with this, that, and the other, and suddenly people are so involved with their houses, with their lanes, with their boats, and with their cars, and everything that suddenly they don't have time. And I'm not speaking, I'm speaking, I'm not speaking to you about you, I'm talking about other people. Okay? Other people and their versions of the word. Say, well, I just don't feel the need to be at church every Sunday. Listen, at a certain point, we're not doing this for ourselves, and it, it, it helps us, and it helps us to advance, but at a certain point, it's just turning up, it's the right thing to do. Uh, it's, it's worshiping God together with the other. It's creating an atmosphere of worship before God that we're here to bless God. We do that every Sunday uh, at every public meeting when we come together. We're not to write our own version. We're not to become proud and think that our version works better than God's version. Have you know what I'm talking about? Now, I know this is good preaching, whether you say amen or not. Uh, you could encourage me a little bit and say, come on, Pastor, preach it long and hard and loud. Uh, do not write your own version. Because in the evil day, it will all be told. There might not be any difference right now. Things ticking along, okay, everything is in place. But what do we do in the evil day when the enemy comes against us and strikes, and then we try to get rid of the devil, and suddenly he ain't listening. Why is that? Because we're not under God's authority. We've moved out from under it. We've written our own version. How tragic. God's instructions, oh, in fact, let me back up again. God says, if you do what I'm commanding you to do by writing your own copy of the law under the supervision of the, of, of the priests. See, it's interesting, but nowadays, people are under the supervision of the internet minister. <laughs> God put physical local churches in place with one pastor, the Bible speaks of the word of God, which are well-driven nails, Ecclesiastes, brought by one minister, by one pastor. When people are listening to 50 pastors whom they've never met, they might have seen them breeze through town, come in and out, and they look great and look flamboyant. I want to know what that pastor looks like when he treats his, how does he treat his wife, how does he treat his kids, how does he handle his finances? How does he get on with the, with the staff? What sort of a guy is he? Otherwise, I'm absolutely not interested in what he's got to say. He can write the most flamboyant uh, uh, sermon and, and inspire everybody under the sun, but unless his life is something worth following, he's got nothing to say that I'm interested in. 
So, so you see, it's under the supervision of the Levitical priesthood. So the king had to submit themselves to the priests. And the priests, in turn, were submitted to the king, provided each were under the uh, authority of God. We have this where, where the priests have risen up, and when the king began to go sideways, and they began to demand that the king do what's right. And in some instances, the priests went out of God's will, and the king says, hey, guys. And, and so you see there is an authority structure going on there, that one way or the other, we must not write our own version. He says, uh, if he reads and learns, he will have a, a long reign as king in Israel, he and his sons. And friends, if we write God's word into our hearts, then our reign will be long and it will be strong. Okay? We can't resist the devil any other way than by the word of God and obviously by the name of Jesus. And uh, sadly that uh, somebody uh, you know, begins to speak the word and after three sentences they've run out of things what to say because they don't know what else to say because the depth of the word of God is just, it's just you know, the, the, the level is just very minimal. And this is not about condemnation. In the early days, uh, how many know that if the king were to sit down and write the whole thing, handwrite it on a scroll, not with pens as we have them today, but with, you know, with the old-fashioned writing equipment, very tedious, very uh, time-consuming. Afraid to get the word into your heart, it can be tedious and it can be time-consuming. And there's times it's like, you know, it's great when we're inspired to do it, but sometimes we just do it because we know it's the right thing to do. We are preparing for greater things in God. And some of that is not even re re revealed, but if we're not preparing today, we will not be ready for God to do great things uh, in and through us. So he says, the rain will be long, and uh, the same goes for us. If we write the copy of God's law into our hearts, and our rain will be long, and it will be strong. We will not be pushed around by the devil. Finally, in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, Similar instruction to Joshua, who was the, to be the leader of Israel at that particular point. He says, Joshua says, be strong and very courageous, but be careful to obey all the instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything that you do. Study this book of, of instructions continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything that is written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. And so what's the point? Uh, uh, Joshua is the leader of Israel. If he was to succeed in his leadership, if he was to succeed in bringing the nation of Israel into the promised land uh, and you know, move on and divide up all the, the land to them and everything, that he had to live by the book. He had to put the word of God into his heart through meditation. Uh, what did it say before? The word is in your mouth and it's in your heart. It needs to be in our mouth before it goes into our heart. Um, and uh, sometimes even a simple thing like reading the Bible out aloud helps us to deposit the word of God deeper and further into our heart so that it becomes the operating system of our lives. This is more than just committing it to memory. Uh, this is more than just... Uh, uh, you know, just having a shallow understanding of the Word. My friend, once the Word of God is in our heart, and that level of the Word determines my level of, uh, of uh, authority when I speak into situations, when I speak into circumstances. And you know, sometimes we get to a stage, and some of you, you are there, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
it's like, you know, your life is quite smooth, really. Uh, I mean, praise God, you know, you, your bills are paid, your, your marriage is good, the kids do as they're supposed to do, and making all the right noise. You know, generally things are quite good, and, and, and so forth. But you know what? The, that is uncommon. Look around. In fact, uh, we were dealing, our family, we were dealing with a, with a, with a financial um, um, mortgage broker a while ago and uh, sort of some financial dealings that were going on that we needed some, some uh, professional assistance with. And, uh, and the man made an interesting comment uh, because we're talking about, you know, when, when, you know, when you are, when you are uh, uh, you know, underwriting uh, uh, certain things and so forth and when you're doing certain things, he said, look, he says, your family, he says, you're a close family. In fact, in fact he says, you're about the closest family that I've ever met. I thought that was an interesting. I think the kids is not an interesting comment to make. We're just a family, um, but 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 you know what? This is uncommon. Families are so divided today. Families are so fragmented, and there's so much strife and division going on in families that it's just phenomenal. Well, it's no wonder if they're operating with an old operating system. That's the result. But you put God's operating system into your life. And you'll suddenly find that things come together. And as I say, you know, if our, our family to be close, I mean, that's faith. That's faith in, 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 in operation. That's like, that's like speaking the word. And there's like years of, of diligently, you know, doing stuff. And we could have always done things better. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, at a certain stage, you, you're just doing stuff because that's what you do. Like, I find myself, I, I walk through the day and I find myself, suddenly my mouth is moving. I've been praying in the Spirit and I didn't even notice it was happening. And I might have been going on for the last 10, 15 minutes. It's just what I do. Um, you train yourself and then something happens. You just speak the Word. and It's almost like you're almost like on autopilot. You see, when the Word is in our heart, it's, uh, autopilot is good. Autopilot is good because you just know that what comes out. See, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. <laughs> but if I get under pressure and something, hel something else comes out, then it means that the new operating system hasn't been thoroughly installed and has not written the previous setting of anger and unforgiveness and revenge and strife and uh, doing my own thing. And, and if, how do you know what I'm talking about? Meditate in it day and night. Final scripture here in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10. For this is the covenant that God says, I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Friend, let me summarize with this thought. Salvation getting to heaven requires no effort on our part. It is a gift that is given to us when we, when we call Jesus the Lord of our life and suddenly we are heaven bound. But how many you know, you can go to heaven and, and live a, a, an absolutely defeated life on this earth. To live a life of victory requires effort on our part. Like it required effort on that king's part to write the book of that law and to get that word into his heart and to make sure that he was operating not by whim, not by his own version, but to operate by the word of God.